Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Hi, welcome to Maximize Your Influence. I am Steve Olson here with Kurt Mortensen, and we've got a great show for you today. It's the inaugural show. So we're excited to be doing this for you. Kurt, what do you think? You excited to be here? Yeah, it's great to be here and teach people how to persuade, motivate, and influence. That is a skill that will take them a long, long ways during their life, and it's probably a skill they haven't really have mastered. Yeah, it probably is. I mean, I think anybody who's been in business or, or, or any other sector of the economy for any amount of time realizes that the people skills are what really get things done. Those hard skills you learn in school, they... They definitely have their place. You know, a doctor needs to know how to do a medical procedure for sure. But uh, those medical skills don't really hold up over the long time when it comes to the people skills. I'm not talking about actually your service as a doctor, but your prosperity as a business. Uh, your people skills are what get it done. Oh, you're right on. When you look at those soft skills we didn't learn in school, and that's where I'm so passionate about persuasion and influence because we should have learned these in schools. The statistics and numbers are astounding that you look at business and success and wealth that 85% of our success actually comes back to our ability to persuade and motivate and influence our people skills and get other people to want to do what we want them to do and like doing it. Yeah. You know, I remember the last semester of my senior year in high school, it was basically a complete waste of time, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I <laughs> don't, had, uh, don't tell anybody that. Is this being recorded, right? <laughs> I, th I think it is. Yeah, we're it's too late. <laughs> your, your teachers are going to come back and haunt you. But I know what you're saying. I mean, there's those skills that are, are pretty important to learn. But then the reality is you throw you out in the world to get a job. But a lot of those things really don't matter. They really don't. You know, because I, I was going to wood shop and these other classes that I just thought were a waste. And I thought, you know, it, it, we would be such a better society if maybe that last part of uh, high school, when you're about to go out into the real world, you had to take a sales class or a finance class or budgeting or taxes or something. I mean, all these things that most of our time is spent on, they don't even get touched on at all in, in school. But I guess that would be wishing for way too much. Yeah, or you'd say all the above. All those courses would be very important where people have to learn through the school of hard knocks or think they're doing okay in the world of, of people skills, when the reality is we all have a lot we can work on. That's true. That's true. Well, I just want to tell the listeners here, you know, what the goal of the show is and, and why we're taking the time to, to do this, because, well, we've been paid exactly zero dollars so far to do the show, but we're passionate about it. We're passionate about the topic because, you know, the more that this kind of information is in your head, the more that you're listening to it and the more that you're exposed to it the more often you're going to find yourself using it. If you read a book once in a while, that's great. You learn something neat, but it doesn't produce any kind of habit-forming skills that you can use in, in the workplace or in your life. But, you know, if you were to listen to a podcast once a week or just be taking in more information, you'll find yourself using these skills. Wouldn't you agree, Kurt? I agree 100%. If you could just learn one new tool a week, one aha week to really implement and use, you'll see a big difference in persuasion because most people, and you know this to be true, only have three to four persuasion skills. And the reality is there's over a hundred. And then as Maslow says, if the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, you treat everyone like a nail. And the key is to have more tools in your toolbox to become more influential. 
Yeah, yeah, right. I It makes me think of a guy that I, I don't know that I would say I have the pleasure of working with, but I, I have to work with nonetheless. And I do a lot of real estate. That's, you know, what what my career is in. And his tool is, well, I've got other people looking at the house. That's that's his only tool is to always scare people into thinking that they're going to lose out. And, you know, it's, it's so out of style uh, using that kind of technique. And I know that you really launched into this field of teaching people how to persuade and negotiate by uh, writing a couple of books. And you've spent a lot of time researching this. Why don't you tell uh, the listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, I started about uh, 20 years ago really getting into persuasion and influence just because I wanted to learn how to do it, number one. And number two, a lot of the times when you go out there and learn persuasion and influence, a lot of the techniques are outdated or even offensive to where, you know, yeah, I wouldn't do that. That wouldn't work. And you mentioned your friend that's one tool wonder, we call him. I guess if you only have one tool, does that make you a tool? I I guess we don't have to answer that. But anyway, uh, I started to research what is it that persuades and influences people. And I came out with my first book, Maximum Influence, which really delved into what I call the 12 laws of persuasion that always work. When you know how to use these laws, people are naturally persuaded. They want to be persuaded. And then that got me into really monitoring top persuaders and, and leaders, and I uh, came out with Persuasion IQ, the traits and characteristics of successful people, successful, influential people. And then the third book is The Laws of Charisma, because people always ask, well, Kurt, there's all these tools. What's the most important? What's the most important? And I'll tell you, it's charisma. And first of all, charisma can be learned, because when you're charismatic, people want to be around you. They want to be influenced by you. They want to help you. They want to give you money. And that is one of the tools we can get into as we start really getting into the world of persuasion, motivation, and influence. You know, I'm going to bring up a current event here. I, I wasn't planning on doing that. But as we're recording, there is a – I don't want to call him a popular congressman, but our, our good friend Anthony Weiner out there in New York. <laughs> okay. Have you been following this at all with this guy? Yeah, I've heard the little thing scandal here doing this. He's trying to fix this, trying to do that. And then another thing happens. That guy is just getting hammered from all angles. I was just thinking about the contrast. Now, granted, he's not helping himself. We all know that he was sending pictures of, uh, we will just say his last name uh, to people <laughs> a couple <laughs> of years ago. And then he, he pops up. He thinks the scandal's gone. He's going to run for the mayor of New York. But apparently he just can't help himself, thinks everybody needs to see his last name and keeps sending it out. I don't know if you've noticed in front of the camera, he's just not very charismatic. He doesn't have the Clinton effect. You know, you remember the scandal surrounding Bill Clinton. A lot of people were enraged and still were. Uh, But the funny thing is, is Bill Clinton left office with a higher approval rating than when he started. And it's because the guy is one of the most charismatic people to ever walk the earth. He's very charismatic, and when people like you and you're charismatic, the things that you do that are wrong or stupid kind of just kind of go by the wayside. And and that's the exact opposite of your other friend here who's very stiff, very almost confrontational, doesn't connect with people. I mean, they say when Bill Clinton walked in the room, everyone felt like they were the most important person on the earth. He would connect with them. He had the eye contact down. He had something, as we know, as charisma that really engaged people. Yeah. You know, I had a professor in college that he was in uh, international relations and talked about a time when he was at a dinner that Bill Clinton spoke at. And I I believe this was in the middle of his uh, first presidential run. And 
Uh, Clinton came in and talked about international economics. And, and you should have seen this professor relate the story about Bill Clinton. I mean, he was basically in love with the guy. I mean, he just, he, from that presentation, he just had won this guy over for life. And as you say, in contrast to our, our congressman from New York, who, who just seems to bungle this thing. Not that he's, not that he's helping himself any by his actions, but you wonder how far he could actually get if he had some charisma to him. A lot farther. That's the bottom line. And, <laughs> and the, a lot of challenges with a lot of these people is they think they have it or they don't need it or say we should go on the facts or no, it, there's that charisma, that influence, that power that you get when people want to be around you and influenced by you. Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you this because, and I can see the point of people who, who ask this question. Sometimes I might even agree uh, with them. Are, are you just born with it or can you actually learn it? Uh, yes. <laughs> some things we naturally have and then some things we need to learn. We need to fine tune. We need to fix and we can learn how to do this. Too many people have that knee jerk reaction while well, they're a born persuader. They're a born salesman. They're natural charismatic. They're a natural leader. No, they learn some things along the way that have helped them out, obviously. But when you look at the list of things that it takes to be charismatic, every single one can be learned. Okay. So you, you've been at this for, for quite a while, you know, doing a, a lot of studies, looking at a lot of psychological journals, trying to figure out the raw scientific influence. I mean, I, I think you could go down to Barnes and Noble or, or, or any bookstore and you would see a ton of books on sales and persuasion. What has usually stood out to me is I kind of read the titles of those, read the introductions is it's, it's usually some guy who was very successful in a given industry. Maybe he was a pharmaceutical rep, uh, maybe he was an in insurance, whatever it is. And he was very successful. So he decided he had it all figured out on the persuasion front. He wrote a book. And I, I think a lot of those books have some good content for specific personalities, but for other people, they're just not going to work. And your your whole crusade here was to find out the actual scientific data that anybody could use to notice a measurable improvement in their persuasion skills. Am I am I right there? Absolutely. Absolutely. To where you can really measure your success. And you, know, you mentioned a lot of those books out there. A lot of those books are written to kind of edify the person and how good they were in persuasion or leadership in sales. And a lot of times we don't glean that much information for those. Our goal here is to get you those tools to be able to quantify your success in persuasion and influence. Great. So out of all the research, I mean, 15 years or so, I think it's more by now uh, that, that you've done on this topic. What would you say would be the one thing that people would be shocked to hear about persuasion? Because there are a lot of myths about it out there. What, what do you think would just shock people? Well, there are a lot of myths out there, a lot of misconceptions, a lot of things that no longer work. The biggest one that just shocks me time and time again, and when I'm teaching seminars and talking to people, that this is the one that comes out the most, is that up to 95% of persuasion and influence involves a subconscious trigger. You know, okay, what's a subconscious trigger? Well, it's a feeling you have inside. You know, I like this person, I don't like this person, I trust this person, I don't trust this person. In fact, let me ask you, Steve, when you, when you meet someone for the first time, how long does it take before you decide if you like or trust this person? Wow. I, in some cases, it's usually before they even open their mouth. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Is that fair or is that reality? Well, that's reality. It's definitely it not fair. But it's We reality. can go into fair. Well, that's not fair. That's not fair. People shouldn't judge. They do. That's reality. And so we have to deal with reality. And so 
in that initial 30 seconds, whether it be over the phone or face-to-face, it could be the color of your clothes. It could be a gesture on your face. It could be a hand gesture. It could be a, a word that you're using. We know that facial hair for guys decreases credibility. We know that you know, even smell, you know, a perfume and cologne, sure, to, your rate is more attractive in, say, a nightclub. But in the workplace, people say you're wearing too much, and it has the opposite effect. You want to smell like you've taken a shower, obviously. Even simple things like a Cinnabon, you know, the cinnamon rolls. When people are near that smell, they're more likely to donate to a charity. So we can go into how close you're standing to the person, to smells, to colors, to gestures, to facial hair. All these things come into play that trigger what's called a subconscious trigger. Again, I like them. I don't like them. I trust them. I don't trust them. And people just don't understand how that's affecting their persuasion. They just want to come in and data dump and vomit the 20 reasons they should do it. And it has the opposite effect because, you know, the moment somebody senses you're going to try to persuade them to do something, even though they need it, want it, like it, and can afford it, they're going to resist you unless you do it the right way. So was there an actual study citing that if you were, you know, in range of Cinnabon, so to speak, you'd get more charitable donations? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you can even look at the smells when you go into a supermarket. They make sure the fresh baked bread's coming in. I mean, the real estate agents, as you know, they're going to cook potpourri or bake bread because our olfactory system is very powerful. We, we can smell something and go back 20 years. It could be a great feeling. It could be a negative feeling. So if you come to a home that you're looking at fresh baked bread, I'm home. It feels good. That's a subconscious trigger. Yeah. Well, I think especially with those cinnamon rolls that we, we have where I live, a kind of a Facebook group that allows the community to talk to each other. You know, if somebody's selling some furniture or, or maybe there's a, a cop with a speed trap outside the development, <laughs> you know, people post on this Facebook group. And, and these kids a couple of Saturdays ago posted that they were selling cinnamon rolls down on the corner and they got just completely overwhelmed. It was crazy. People love those things. But I guess if you're running a charity, buy a bunch of uh, Cinnabon and you're going to increase your numbers, huh? Yeah, increase your numbers and just be aware of smell and colors and all those things that help you become more influential. Or if you're doing it the wrong way, you're, you're less influential. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was actually reading a study the other day done by a couple of professors about how more attractive real estate agents make more money. And, you know, I was debating with a colleague as to whether or not this was true. But ultimately, I think where if the skills are present, the more attractive person is, is definitely going to get the lead in life. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Again, not saying that it's fair. But when you look at the role of attraction, and we're not talking drop dead gorgeous or handsome, but when you're good looking or better than the average person, your lifetime earnings, it does affect your lifetime earnings. You even look at the judicial systems. On the other side, the uglier convicts get longer prison sentences for the same crime than the better looking ones. We can go into daycare. We can go into grades in college. I mean, they're definitely what they call the halo effect. How you look, people perceive you as more trustworthy, more competent, and even more likable. Yeah, right. So if you're ugly, get out. You know, <laughs> go be a social. Yeah, well, no, there's something. always plastic surgery, right? There's always hope. There's different <laughs> things that we can do to, to to fix things. Again, some things we can fix, and some things we can't. You just be aware of what those are, and that's the power is being aware of those subconscious triggers. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, Steve, you know what that sound means? It's blunder of the week time. 
Well, we're going to do a segment on all of the shows going forward called the Blunder of the Week. People, that's another thing in human nature. People always like to see other people screw up, don't they? <laughs> they do because they're like, well, other people do that. But the reality is you're probably doing it too. So it's good to see other people blow it so you can learn and improve your own persuasion influence skills. And probably laugh a little bit along the way. Right? Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm going to do this one because this was related to me by uh, actually my dad who got a call from a telemarketer. And there is a, a rather large resort close to where we live that has recently converted itself to a timeshare structured ownership. So, you know, you, you pay the $10,000 or whatever, and you get to go up there for a week every year. So he gets a call from this place that says, hi, this is a Bob from XYZ Resort. We have a red hot deal on timeshare memberships right now, but we are in a sold out situation. And I need to know your decision ASAP. <laughs> so, Sold out situation. You like the packaging on that one. Oh, it was pretty ridiculous. So my dad says to him, so you're in a sold out situation, really? Said, yeah. So what are you calling me for? <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to get my week? You know, I, I thought you were sold out. So, it, you know, just a blunderous example. And I think we're seeing that just so much these days in, you know, what you would refer to as is scarcity. Salespeople got the memo quite a while ago that if they can make their product seem scarce, that people are going to want it more. But wow, they sure do blunder that one. Yeah, that's probably the one of the 12 laws of persuasion that people really blow because it's sometimes so ridiculous, so transparent that it has the opposite effect, just like it had with in this situation. You're like, well, then why are you calling me? To And then the person's all, uh, or, uh, they, of course, they don't know where to go with it. Because they're trying to create this urgency. And if it's not real, if it's not legitimate, then it's going to have the opposite effect. And that is a definite blunder. Yeah, definite blunder. I was actually booking some airline tickets on on Orbitz, the online search engine, the other day. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a good example of the opposite, a very effective use of scarcity because it's authentic. But I was clicking through and I found a ticket price that I liked for the destination that I was going to. And Orbitz does this thing on the bottom. It says only two tickets left at this price. Really gets you going. You're thinking, oh, I better get one of those. Yeah, that's great urgency. In fact, that dramatically increased their sales to let people know. And it's truthful. It's there. Only two left. And if you don't do it now, you're not going to get that price. And, and that's the thing with scarcity. If people think they can come back later and do it later, they think they will, but they never do. Yeah, they, they think they will, but they never do. Well, you had mentioned the 12 laws of persuasion. That's something definitely that we're going to get into as, as we go through these podcasts. Those are the 12 laws that you talked about in your book, Maximum Influence, which has the second edition out now, correct? Yeah, it just came out this month, actually, the second edition. We updated the studies and, and uh, some of the case histories that people can go through to really help them apply the 12 laws. Great, great. Well, we certainly hope that the listeners are going to enjoy the, the show going forward. The show is in a sold-out situation. <laughs> there you go. I like that. <laughs> so you better hurry and download it because, you know, there's only a finite number of downloads. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they limit it to, what, 54 million, something like that. But uh... <laughs> Right. <laughs> we'll, we'll deal with that problem when we get there. There you go. <laughs> well, thanks, Kurt. We'll get another show up here shortly, get into some more content, start doing uh, interviews with various guests and and real live persuasion scenarios. We want you to be able to 
have this in your head at all times and use it when you need it, whether it's with your career, your kids, your spouse, uh, whatever it may be. That's the key. We all persuade and influence for a living, whether parents, teachers, leaders, managers, sales. We all need to maximize our influence. That's right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of Maximize Your Influence. Have a good one. 